Let's open up our Bibles to Galatians chapter 5. Only two more chapters in Galatians, and then we're going to move on to the next bit of goodness. I'm reading out of the Passion Translation. And again, if you don't know what this is, it's kind of like the message translation. It's a newer translation where he uses a lot of the Aramaic. And I really, really love the way that it reads. So I'm just going to read straight from uh, the Passion Translation. We're going to go all the way through chapter 5. Are you all ready? Yes. Say, I'm ready. Say, come on, Grant. I'm ready. Holy Spirit, I just ask that you come and take control. Every word from my mouth, let it be yours. Anything that's not of you, let it fall on deaf ears. We want your word to be communicated very clearly and powerfully in a way that affects and changes our lives. So come this morning and help us. Amen. Okay. Verse 1. Before I do, just remember the last four chapters that we've been going through, Paul is all about destroying legalism, destroying the law, and the whole mentality that you have to do things to be right before God. Okay? He says the only way that you can be right before God is by the gift of righteousness that Jesus gave you. There's nothing you can do to be accepted before God. Because when God looks at Jesus and he sees how righteous Jesus is, you are in Jesus and you are equally as righteous. Not because of anything that you've done or can possibly do, but only because of the gift of righteousness. Amen? So he's pounding on this point again. And as he talks about the law and as he talks about circumcision and some of these other things, this morning I want you personally to be thinking of the word legalism, okay? What parts in your life, what time in your history as a, as a kid, as a teenager, as a college student, whatever church you've been a part of over the past, have you listened to something about the character of God that made you think, I have to do this to be okay with God. I have to do this action or if I don't do this. So if I don't have my quiet time today, I'm, I'm down a few steps. I'm not as close to God anymore and I have to kind of work my way back up into his presence. Okay? Obviously have time with God. And obviously spending time with God, you get to know him more. But it's not that you have to work your way back up to be right with God. Or if you sin in a certain way and you fall short of what God has for you, do you have that thought that, okay, well, maybe in like three days my prayers will be effective once again, okay? Do you have any sort of legalistic thinking in your mind of, God's not going to accept me if I don't do this? Or if I do this, God won't accept me? If I wear a hat in church, God's not going to accept right? I don't know what it is, but any point in your past that you have a legalistic thought of your acceptance and your position in God based on doing, this morning, I believe the Lord wants to kill those thoughts, okay? We've been pounding on it for a long time, this morning even more, okay? So jump in with me, verse 1 of chapter 5 of Galatians. Let me be clear. The anointed one has set us free, not partially, but completely and wonderfully free. Say amen. We must always cherish this truth and stubbornly refuse to go back into the bondage of our past. Say hallelujah. I love this. Say stubbornly refuse to go back to the bondage of your past. All right? So I don't care what church you end up in a hundred years from now, Okay? What legalistic thought there is. You must always, from this day forward, stubbornly refuse to go back to the bondage 
of your past. Amen? All right. Verse 2. I write to you as your apostolic father. If you think that there is benefit in circumcision and Jewish regulations to make you holy, substitute the word legalism or doing something. If you think that to be accepted by God, you have to do whatever. He says this, then you are acting as though Jesus, the anointed one, is not enough. Say, ouch. Whew. Dang, Paul. (laughs) Then you are acting as though Jesus is not enough. If you think, okay, thank you, Jesus, for washing over all of my sins. I appreciate it. But I know that I also have to do this to be right with you. Then you're stepping back into the legalistic system. And you are then choosing to say, what you did on the cross was not enough. The punishment poured out on you on the cross was not enough. It was enough for everybody else, but not for me. And that is not true. Amen? Say, thank you, God, that's not true. So, verse 3, I say it again emphatically. Anyone who believes that circumcision brings them closer to God is obliged to fulfill every single one of the commandments and regulations of the law. Again, substitute legalism. If there's any part of you that thinks, thank you, Jesus, plus I got to do this. If there's any part of that in you, okay, then you are moving yourself back into the system of the law. And not only do you have to do that one thing, but you have to fulfill every single tiny little piece of the law because you're trying to stand before God in your own holiness, But you can never stand before God in your own holiness or your own righteousness. It's only based on the gift of righteousness from Jesus. Amen? Verse 4. If you want to be made holy by fulfilling the obligations of the law, then you have to cut off more than your flesh. You have to cut off, you have to cut yourselves off from the anointed one. And you've fallen away from the revelation of grace. So Paul says, if you want to live that life and live in the law, that's fine. That's your choice. But by doing so, you are chopping off your connection with Jesus. Because Jesus came to give you righteousness, to give you the abundance of grace. Don't cut yourself off from him. Verse 5. I love this. Man, this is so good. But the Holy Spirit convinces us. Everybody say, convinces That we have received by faith the glorious righteousness of the anointed one. Amen? Let me read it again. The Holy Spirit convinces us. Say convinces. That we have received by faith the glorious righteousness of the anointed one. When you're placed into the anointed one and you're joined with him, circumcision and religious obligations can benefit you nothing is what Paul says. All that matters now is living in the faith that is activated and brought to perfection by love. Okay, so get this. The Holy Spirit convinces you that you are righteous in Christ through faith. Okay? That's his, one of his jobs, to convince you that you are 100% good with God, not based on what you do, but only based on what Jesus did. Okay? He convinces you. There's no other religion in the world who has that assurance that you have as a believer in Jesus, okay? No matter who you talk to, no matter what religion you talk to, 
there will always be a giant question mark at the end of their life. So how do you live? What, how, how do you please your God? How do you, what happens at the end of your life? There will always be a big question mark. They will always come back to this response of, well, if I do enough good, if my good outweighs the bad and I live this scale system, then hopefully, maybe, possibly, I'll please my God. Every single religion in the whole wide world, nobody has the assurance that you as a believer have. You're the only ones who have the assurance because of the Holy Spirit that you can stand before God fully righteous because of what Jesus did. Amen? All right. Say, that's good. I know. Good job, Paul. Verse 7. Before you were led astray, you were so faithful to Messiah why have you now turned away from what's right and true? Who has deceived you? The one who enfolded you into his grace is not behind this false teaching that you've embraced. So he's saying Jesus is not behind this teaching that you've embraced. Not at all. Verse 9, don't you know that when you allow even a little lie into your heart, it can permeate your entire belief system? And it goes on to talk about the, a little bit of yeast. If you have dough, if you're a baker, anybody a baker? If you have dough and you put a little tiny bit of yeast, just sprinkle it in, the tiniest bit of yeast, you cannot hide the results of yeast inside of dough. Because what's it do? It begins to grow and gets bigger and it expands. It makes that dough rise up, okay? So Paul is telling us in the same way, one little lie that's wrong about your thinking of who God is to you you can't hide its effects. It can change the whole system. It will affect your whole body, just the tiniest little bit. That's why I was so thankful this morning for the Lord correcting a lie in my heart about my belief on finances for the church. Because one little lie will change it all. And in my opinion, it is absolutely paramount that we get this thing right. Your righteousness in Christ is not based on anything you do, but only based on the gift of righteousness from Jesus. Okay? It's paramount. If you have this off by one little thing, thank you, Jesus, plus if I read my Bible. Thank you, Jesus, plus if I pray every night. Thank you, Jesus, plus any sort of religious doing or legalistic doing. If you have that wrong, the whole system will be affected. You must get it right. You are only right in God's eyes based on what Jesus did for you, okay? There's nothing that you can do to earn any more of his love for you. You've got it all. There's nothing more you can do to be more adopted into his family. You are fully adopted as a son in his family. Amen? Okay, let's move on. Verse 10, deep in my heart, I have faith that the Lord Jesus, the anointed one who lives in you, will bring you back around to the truth. And I'm convinced that those who agitate you, whoever they think they are, will be brought under God's judgment. Verse 11. Dear friends, why do you think the religious system persecutes me? Is it because I preach the message of being circumcised and keeping all the laws of Judaism? No, not at all. Is there no longer any offense over the cross? To tell you the truth, I'm so disgusted with all your agitators who are obsessed with cutting. I wish they would go even further and cut off their legalistic influence from your lives. Verse 13. This gets so good. Beloved ones, God has called us to live a life of freedom in the Holy Spirit. Amen? 
God has called all of us, every one of you. Look me in the eyes. He's called you and you and you and you and you and you. Every one of us, he's called you to live a life of freedom in the Holy Spirit. Say freedom in the Holy Spirit. That is your calling. That is God's desire for you. Who knows that when somebody calls doesn't mean that's always where we end up, right? Okay? Unfortunately. So there's a whole lot of believers who are called to freedom in the Holy Spirit, but don't ever go over to the calling. Don't ever get there. And they're not living freedom in the Holy Spirit, okay? So God has called us to live a life of freedom in the Holy Spirit. But don't view this wonderful freedom as our opportunity to set up a base of operations in the natural realm. <sighs> Amen. Okay? So Paul says, guys, just because you're called to freedom and you don't have to live under the law anymore, don't go and do all the junk of the world just because you're free. Don't do it. Freedom means that we become so completely free of self-indulgence that we become servants of one another, expressing love in all we do. Say, wow. Okay, I'm going to read it again. This is verse 13. Freedom means that we become so completely free of self-indulgence that we actually become servants of one another, expressing love in all we do. So Paul tells us real freedom in the Holy Spirit looks like servanthood, loving other people, laying down your life for other people so that they can become all that they're called to be. That's what Paul says right here. Verse 14, for love completes the laws of God. All of the law can be summarized in one grand statement. Demonstrate love to your neighbor even as you care for you for and love yourself. Amen. So freedom, if you're struggling with sin and you want freedom, freedom comes from laying down your life for others. Comes through serving the Holy Spirit. He continues with this theme. Verse 15. But if you continue to criticize and come against each other over minor issues, you're acting like wild beasts trying to destroy one another. Say ouch. How, how many uh, churches around are destroying themselves like wild beasts over silly minor issues, okay? Let's don't do that. I don't think you guys do, but don't do it. Don't start. <laughs> Verse 16, I love this. As you yield freely and fully to the dynamic life and power of the Holy Spirit, you will abandon the cravings of your self-life. Isn't that good? As you yield freely and fully to the dynamic life and power of the Holy Spirit, you will abandon the cravings of your self-life. Checking with me? So Paul says, look, you want freedom from sin? Freedom from sin is not more rules. Freedom from sin is not more self-discipline. Freedom from sin comes from servanthood, obeying the Holy Spirit, laying down your life, yielding to the Holy Spirit freely and fully to the dynamic life and power of the Holy Spirit. And as you yield your life to the Holy Spirit and his desires, naturally you will abandon the cravings of your self-life. Is what Paul says. Verse 17, for your self-life craves the things that offend the Holy Spirit and hinder him from living free within you. And the Holy Spirit's intense cravings hinder your old self-life from dominating you. The Holy Spirit is the only one who defeats the cravings of your natural life. Say, oh, that's good. 
I'm going to read it again. Paul says, the Holy Spirit is the only one who defeats the cravings of your natural life. Amen. So then the two are incompatible, conflicting forces within you, and your self-life of the flesh and the new creation life of the Spirit. But when you are brought into the full freedom of the Spirit of grace, you will no longer be living under the domination of the law, excuse me, but soaring above it. Okay? So he says, if you want more freedom from sin, you want to quit doing junk of the world, the answer is not the law. The answer is not going back under doing and being more self-controlled. The answer is yielding yourself completely to the Holy Spirit and his desires. You have been purchased with a price. You have been bought. When Jesus died on the cross, you were bought. You were paid for with a very costly price. Okay? So you've been bought as a servant to the king of kings. Your life is now not your own. You, or life, your life is to be a servant to the king of kings. So if you want to be free of the junk of your flesh, of the junk of the world, then the answer, according to Paul, is to yield yourself more to the desires of the Holy Spirit. And as you listen more to the Holy Spirit, then, and as you obey more of the Holy Spirit, then you'll find yourself going farther and farther away from the junk of the world. And the beautiful thing is that Jesus tells us that the pure in heart see God, right? Okay? So the pure in heart see God. So the more that you listen to the Holy Spirit, what do you desire to do? Okay? Holy Spirit, what do you want me to do? What are you hoping for in this situation? And the more that you take that one little step towards obeying the Holy Spirit, the more pure your heart becomes. And the more pure your heart becomes, the more you're able to see and hear more of the Holy Spirit. So then it becomes easier and easier. And it's like a catch-22 in the best of ways where you're able to continue soaring above all the junk of the past. Amen? Verse 19, and what are the cravings of the self-life that I'm referring to? They're obvious. Sexual immorality, lustful thoughts, pornography, chasing after things instead of God, manipulating others, which is witchcraft, hatred of those who get in your way, senseless arguments, resentment when others are favored, temper tantrums, angry quarrels, only thinking of yourself, being in love with your own opinions, being envious of the blessings of others, murder, uncontrolled addictions, wild parties, and all other similar behaviors, okay? So the junk of the flesh, right? Haven't I already warned you that those who use their freedom for these things will not inherit the kingdom realm of God? <sighs> okay, so I don't know if anybody else was like me. In my younger days, I'm so thankful for this translation of the Passion because he points to the Aramaic, which says it literally means those who devote themselves to these things, okay? So many, many times in my younger days, I'd be like, oh, my gosh, I just had an angry thought. Oh, no. <laughs> Dang it. I'm not going to inherit the kingdom of God. Oh, just like that, right? Anybody else with me? I'm the only one? Oh, my gosh. You guys are so holy. Wow. Y'all are amazing. Or I'd have, like, a lustful thought. Or I'd have a, a just, what was this other one? 
angry quarrels. Last night I was practicing. I could not say angry. I would. I would said ang- angry, angry quarrel. <laughs> I couldn't say it. Angry quarrels, whatever. So I'd like, oh man, I just did this bad thing. Now I don't get to inherit the kingdom of God. Like just like that. Gosh darn it, what happened? Right. I'm thankful for this this passion translation because he says the Aramaic literally means. Those who devote themselves to these things, okay? So for all of you guys, good news, guess what? Unless you are devoting your lives to these things of the world, okay, there's still hope for you, (laughs) amen? So there's a big difference between somebody who says, yeah, I love Jesus, I'm free in Christ, I'm saying yes to him. Keep in mind, freedom in Christ, in Paul's mind, means servanthood, slaveship, bond servant, to Jesus. You want to be free? Awesome. Lose your life. Right? Somebody else said something like that. You want to find your life, you must lose your life. If you want real freedom, real freedom only comes by laying down your life in servanthood to the king of kings. Okay? So Paul says, um, don't devote yourself to junk. Okay, if you say, yes, I love Jesus, but you are devoted to the party life, you are devoted to the sin of the world, you're not inheriting the kingdom of God. If you are laying down your life for Jesus, you are. Amen? Okay, say that's good news. Say, oh, thank you, Grant. I was scared. <laughs> you don't have to say I was scared. Okay, verse 22, let's move on. But the fruit produced by the Holy Spirit within you is divine love in all its various expressions. And then he goes on to talk about the fruits of the Spirit. This love revealed through joy that overflows, peace that subdues, patience that endures, kindness in action, a life full of virtue, faith that prevails, gentleness of heart and strength of spirit. Never set the law above these qualities, for they are meant to be limitless. Amen. And what I want to point out in verse 22 is that the actual fruit of the Holy Spirit is love, okay? The outflow of the Holy Spirit is always love, which also means if you ever feel something from the Holy Spirit that is not love, it is not the Holy Spirit, okay? But the fruit of the Holy Spirit is love, and love expresses itself through things like joy that overflows, peace that subdues, patience that endures, kindness in action, a life full of virtue, faith that prevails, which is important, which Rachel's talking about last week and tomorrow night, faith that prevails, which I think is the essence of faith. It's easy to have faith that for a moment sticks it out, right? But real faith is faith that sticks in there and says, even when everything else in my life says no and screams no, when every situation of my life screams no, you still believe, God, you said this. So even though it makes no sense, I'm going to believe that you said this. I'm going to stick it out. I'm going to prevail in my faith. That is powerful faith. Amen. Faith that prevails, gentleness of heart and strength of spirit. Never set the law above these qualities, for they are meant to be limitless. We're on the home stretch. Verse 24. Keep in mind that we who belong to Jesus, the anointed one, have already experienced crucifixion. For everything connected with our self-life was put to death on the cross and crucified with the Messiah. Say amen. Okay? So 
What is, what is it called when somebody goes to a cemetery and digs up uh, the old dead body? A, gra- a grave robber? Right? Okay. It is illegal in the spirit realm for you to be a grave robber. Okay. Track with me. It's illegal in God's eyes for you to be a grave robber. When God looks at your old life, when God looks at your sin, when God looks at all your old junk, he says it is illegal for you to go raise that back up. It died on the cross. It is buried and done on the cross with Jesus. It is finished. Don't you ever go back to it. Amen? You are a new creation. You have a new life. So don't go dig up all your old junk. Okay? All right. And then he sums it up just beautifully. Verse 25. We have now chosen to live in the surrendered freedom of yielding to the Holy Spirit. So may we never be found dishonoring one another or comparing ourselves to each other, for each of us is an original. We have forsaken all jealousy that diminishes the value of others. Okay? And I love how he says it. So we've now chosen to live in the surrendered freedom of yielding to the Holy Spirit. Okay? It's your choice. You're called by God to walk in freedom. It is your choice to go walk in freedom. Freedom, in God's eyes, is you surrendering your own life. Yes, God, whatever you want, I give it all up. My life is not yours. I've been bought with a price. Whatever you want with my life, I say yes and amen. I will do what you call me to do. That is real freedom, laying down your life in God's eyes. Surrendered freedom of yielding to the Holy Spirit, to his desires, to whatever the Holy Spirit wants as you go throughout your days. Amen? Okay, that's the end of chapter 5. Next week, chapter 6. Stand up with me and let me pray for you. Father, we love you. We just thank you that you hate religion and all that it stands for, all the ways that the enemy twists religion to think that, to make man think that they can do things to be right in your sight. Thank you that we don't have to do anything. All we have to do is receive the gift of grace, the gift of righteousness that you gave us through Jesus. Thank you, God. Thank you that we are fully adopted as sons. Thank you that we get to enjoy all of the inheritance of the kingdom of God as a son and daughter of the King of Kings. Thank you, Lord, for this right way of thinking. Thank you for the way that Paul communicates so clearly about grace and about legalism and about the law. God, I'm asking that you would permeate deep into every person's heart. And any last little trace of legalism that's inside any one of us, would you go this week and just root it out? Pull it out. Get rid of it. Any wrong thinking, any little tiny bit of yeast that taints the way that we see you, God, would you pull it out, root it out completely so that we could see you clearly. And, Lord, we want to be people who are completely yielded to you, completely surrendered to you. We know that we've been bought with a price. We're so thankful that we have been bought with a price. And we choose to lay down our lives. We choose to surrender joyfully to say, yes, my life is not my own, it's yours. 
And we thank you that as we yield to you, as we listen to you, as we watch you, as we do the things that are on your heart, we will naturally flee the junk of the enemy and the junk of the world. We thank you for the way all this works. You are so good to us. I'm praying a blessing over every person this week. Thank you, God, that the dry season is over prophetically in Jesus' name, that there's new life, new jobs, new connections, new everything, new life growing up everywhere this week, and we look forward to the testimonies in Jesus' name. And all the people said, amen, amen, amen.